You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in Central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. People were so kind and gracious and they bought those $20 tickets and they bared with us as we did theater on Zoom and we shipped props across the country. And our goal was to employ as many actors as possible because actors lost all their jobs. Restaurant jobs, acting jobs, directing, there was, right? The creative community lost a lot. By the time Lita got here and we figured out that for a year we would not try to go back in person. We would do this virtual work. And then by year two, we were trying to figure out how to begin to come back into the theater safely. From Columbus Business First, it's Women of Influence, an interview series showcasing some of the most inspiring women in the Central Ohio business community. Chrissy Farnbaugh serves as Executive Director of the Contemporary Theater of Ohio. If that name's not familiar to you, perhaps you might know the organization by its former brand, CatCo. The just-completed and revealed rebranding is one of the first major projects undertaken by Christy since she joined amid the uncertainty of spring 2020. She recently visited our office to talk about that experience, what's on the schedule for this year, and much more. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, and I actually wanted to start with the organization that you work for. If we had this conversation two months ago, it would have had a different name. <laughs> so... Talk to me a little bit about the rebrand that y'all just went through and, and what went into that and how you settled on the new identity. Yeah, for sure. So maybe I'll tell you a little bit about how I got here. So I accepted this job on March 13th, 2020, about noon. Board chair called and said, congratulations, we want to offer this job to you. Uh, super excited. And then about four o'clock, uh, Stephen Anderson, who was the retiring managing director, called and said, congratulations. And I guess I should tell you we're closing the theater tonight, <laughs> but only for a couple weeks. Remember when we said that? So, so that's how I got here. And, and through that interview process, I kept asking questions like, well, what differentiates the old name, CatCo, from other theater companies in town? And what is our value proposition, right? And the answers varied from the people I talked to. And so when I finally arrived officially April 15th of 2020, and then we hired Lita Hoffman, our artistic director, in August of 2020. So she had a little more time to figure things out, but still during the pandemic. We really set about really trying to clarify our mission, vision, purpose. You know, what is our role in the community and why do we exist? So that took us through really about an 18-month discovery process of that whole process of it's the vision and the mission and the purpose. And um, did a lot of community stakeholder interviews. And we pretty quickly into that process realized that the, the name, CatCo, which had stood for the Contemporary American Theater Company, 
38 years ago, had become that acronym. And in, in, if you knew, you knew. It was kind of insider right? And if you'd been in Columbus a long time, you knew. But a lot of the newer people and coming out of the pandemic, people just didn't know what the acronym stood for. They would guess, like Columbus Association of the something or other. We got calls, are you a cat welfare agency? No, we are not. And then there was a merger in 2010, CatCo merged with Phoenix Theater for Children. So what a lot of people don't even know, our official name was CatCo Phoenix Incorporated. So with our board and all that input, we just began really in earnest about a year, work on a, on a new name. And what would that be and what would the brand be? And landed on the Contemporary Theater of Ohio for a lot of reasons, right? We, we are a professional regional theater company based in the center of the state. And we wanted to plant the flag put contemporary and theater back in our name, be really clear about uh, you know, who we are and, and what we do. And our, our process of vision, mission, purpose led us to this purpose of leveraging the transformational power of theater rooted in the current moment, so around current issues, to build empathy in the community. And so that is, that's the why, mm-hmm. right? And people really sort of agree, we're at a time when a lot, a lot more empathy could go a long way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we know and believe that telling stories um, that we that we tell through the voices we put on stage is a key to doing that. So mm-hmm. that's how we got to where we are today. Three weeks ago, mm-hmm. May 9th, we changed the name. Um, feedback has been very positive. Okay, yeah, that was what has the response been like? Yeah, very, very positive uh, on social and, and in person. People are like, oh, now I know what you stand for and what your name is and what you do and why you matter. And um Artists, the artist community now have a clear theater company name to put on their resumes, right? When Lita would call to do um, audition request, like, I'm CatCo, the theater, you know, in Ohio. (laughs) A lot of people didn't know. And now it's very clear. We're the Contemporary Theater of Ohio. And so the feedback from the artistic community has been, yeah, that makes it clear on our resumes so Mm -hmm. people can see what we've done and and where we are. And and, and really working toward that regional presence, like Mm -hmm. many... Many regional theaters have their city or their state or, or something that anchors them in their name. Yeah, it really helps with the branding and the identity. As Christy mentioned, she accepted the job at CatCo in March of 2020, starting a month later. It was a wild time to take over a theater. So uh-huh. you talked a little bit, you know, the organization, what that meant. But personally, what was that like for you walking in in the midst of when you weren't putting on any shows? Great question. I said in those days... I had never worked so hard for an organization that was technically shut down. When I got here in April, it was all about how to get the PPP money, how to find stimulus, how to keep our staff on board as long as we could, right? How to understand the budget, what's in the bank, how do we make this work? That's really where I where I started because there was no programming to do. We we tried. We we made Zoom backgrounds. Remember when people did that out of their photos? But it was really about figuring out how to keep our staff and how to make things right. And and in hindsight, you know, the first PPP loans came in six weeks mm-hmm. after the shutdown. But those six weeks seemed like forever. So it was figuring all that out. It was trying to stay connected with our with our donors, right, and our ticket buyers. And our ticket buyers were unbelievably generous. 62% of our ticket buyers let us keep the money for the shows that, that we lost. We'd opened a show, had one performance, and everything shut down. So in total, it was like 60-some shows or something. Um, 
so it was just it was getting the lay of the land and learning the theater world specifically because I've worked with music organizations and other kinds of nonprofits and arts organizations and education organizations. Um, one of the things I bring to the role is my entrepreneurial understanding. So I also have up my own uh, consulting business that I've had since 2006. So I've been a, a small entrepreneur, as well as my work with um, National Association of Women Business Owners, um, the Columbus chapter, and, and hanging out with some really smart, many have been on your podcast, <laughs> really smart women entrepreneurs, right? And thinking about the new model and the new normal coming out of the pandemic. So yeah, we there was no shortage of things to do and figuring out how to keep people safe when you know we we did a year of virtual work, virtual mm -hmm. theater, which was like a whole new art form. And people were so kind and gracious and they bought those $20 tickets and they you know bared with us as we did theater on Zoom and we shipped props across the country and I mean, it was a whole nother thing, but our goal was to employ as many actors as possible mm -hmm. because actors lost all their jobs, restaurant jobs, acting jobs, directing, there was, right, mm -hmm. the creative community lost a lot. And so by the time Lita got here and we figured out that for a year, we would not try to go back in person, it was just too hard. We would do this virtual work. And then, and then by year two, we were trying to figure out how to begin to come back into the theater safely mm -hmm. and how to follow we're we're a union a union theater so how to follow the actors equity rules and keep people safe and everything from the testing protocols to the distance between the audience and the actors to an hvac assessment of our space like i didn't even know who to call to do an hvac assessment but we figured it out mm -hmm. right our board helped us figure it out and so I thought I had a lot of experience, but I did not have experience leading through a pandemic. Yeah. I'm not sure any of us did. And did the theater get um, get grants, one of those venue grants, arts and venue? I know you mentioned PVP mm -hmm. loan. Yeah, we did. We we have had all the stimulus we could get our hands on. <laughs> yeah, we had we had two rounds of PPP. We did earned revenue tax credits. We had a shuttered venues grant. I had FEMA money to cover some COVID tests, and just recently. Uh, we've been um, notified we'll, we're set to get about $140,000 through the ARPA, the new ARPA money that was um, allocated by the Ohio legislature mm -hmm. this spring. So again, grateful. So I added this up not long ago, close to $800,000 mm -hmm. in stimulus money. Now the trick is it's one time, right? Yeah. And so I guess with my entrepreneur hat on, I've always thought of it as venture capital money, helping us, how do you, how do we invest that the right ways so that when it's gone, we have increased ticket sales or increased contributed revenue, or right? Well, and so how do you feel about the financial situation right now at the theater? It's still challenging. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my arts and culture, culture colleagues would tell you the same thing. It is still challenging. Audiences have changed. Tastes have changed. What they're willing to spend their time on has changed. Nationally and even locally, the data shows people are purchasing tickets to things they already know and love. Um, and so getting them to take a risk on a $48 ticket for a show they don't know the title of, mm -hmm. right? You probably won't know the titles of any of our shows unless you're a real theater aficionado, right? So we're really trying to work on helping people understand what the story is about and why it matters to their lives and why they should care. And then, and then the part about how we're really part of anchoring downtown mm -hmm. and getting people back downtown, combating those, um, 
those perceptual barriers, right? That downtown isn't safe. And, you know, I, I don't find that to be true, but I'm down here all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know there are people who are not, who are not going to come down. And where are you located? Where is I live in Hilliard. Okay, but the uh, the theater is... the theater is in the Rife Center. Okay, so there there are uh, three small block block theaters. We perform in two of them: Studio mm-hmm. One and Studio Two. Um, flexible space, no more than two hundred seats, so it's very intimate and small. Mm-hmm. Um, and bonus, you can park in the Rife Center garage for free. Oh, that and is... just come up the elevator. It's really easy. Yeah, <laughs> that is a great. I just have recently had an event at the in the building next door and everybody complained about parking. So Yeah, they said. always complain about parking. <laughs> but uh, that that Rife Center, um, like insider tip, the Rife Center garage is free every day after six and for all anyone? weekend long for anyone. Wow. This is this is life changing information. I know. Right so it's here. gonna be on a podcast <laughs> and everybody's gonna know the secret. I know, yeah, yeah, I know they'll all be parking. Um, but yeah, it's true. So it's it is easy. It's mm-hmm. just getting people to understand where we are, right? I don't have a banner on the Rife Center right now. I'd like, with our new brand and new name, I'd like to, to see if we can get a banner mm-hmm. to let people know, you know, where we are. And and the big dream, the really big dream is to is a new space mm-hmm. somewhere in the city with a with a street presence and, you know, a, a coffee a coffee cafe or a bar where people can come and hang out before and after the show and um, and participate in those community conversations that our stories will spark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the big dream. For those looking to fill out their social calendar for the year to come, the Contemporary Theater has plenty to offer. So what is, what's on the agenda for the year at the Contemporary Theater of Ohio? What can we expect? What kind of programming are you excited about? Yeah, I am really excited about our new season. So this will be uh, Lita's third season as our artistic director. And we start, so we don't produce in the summer. So we'll start in September. Again, everything we do goes through that lens. Is it current for the moment? Is it related to our purpose and our vision, um, and in what ways? And so we're going to start off with a show called POTUS, uh, which is a farcical, hysterical show about chaos in the White House. And then we move into a show called Good Grief, which is about a a woman who's lost her best friend and kind of how you navigate that stage of of life and those changes. At Christmas time, we're going to have a one-woman version of A Christmas Carol, which we're very excited about. Uh, Angela Iannone is going to wonderful uh, equity actor here in town is going to join us for this one woman piece and play all the characters of Christmas Carol. And we see that as really kind of our little gift to the community, right? The holiday gift for the community. And then in January, we'll do a show for young audiences and families called The Worries of Wesley. And Wesley is about a, a middle school age child who is worried about lots of things and has a lot of anxiety. And Wesley has a conversation with the heart, the lungs, and the brain about how to cope with anxiety. And that was a show that we read last year doing our New Works, Theater Festival for New Works. Uh, we did a reading of it and the feedback was, we you need to do this show right now in the community, right? We need this. So we're looking at ways to really get that out in the community and, and traction. And, and originally we partnered with some child psychologists from Nationwide Children's to make sure that the script was appropriate and talked about anxiety in positive ways and all of that, and we passed, so <laughs> we passed. So we're excited about that. And then we move into the final two shows, um, Skeleton Crew, which is about the closing of auto plants in Detroit. We have 90,000 auto workers in, in, in Ohio, right? So it's very relevant in Ohio, just like in Michigan. And then the last show is called Ride the Cyclone. It's a, it's a musical, it's a hilarious, really dark <laughs> comedy 
about a choir that goes to an amusement park and, and there's a horrific roller coaster accident. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the children all die, but they meet the great Karnak, who imagine in the, right in the magician, you know, in the booth. And, and Karnak tells them they must figure out which one's going to live. And so the play then is about each one of them making their case for why they should live and be able to come back from, from the dead. And it's wildly popular among young people. And the thinking is it's because young people are surrounded by death, right? School shootings and, and all kinds of things in our society. And this gives young people kind of a way to process that in a, in a funny way. There's, there's joy in every one of these shows, even though a couple of them deal with death, right? There is joy in everything we do. And we really believe you can get people to open their minds and think about issues and have empathy for characters through humor and through joy. So we strive really hard to, to not be preachy and not, you know, kind of beat people over the head with an issue, but really kind of open those doors. And humor is a great way to do that. Christie's career prior to joining the contemporary theater was primarily built in the nonprofit sector. Yeah. So I have a degree in music and business from Otterbein which at the time uh, people were like, oh, are you going to work in a music store? And I was like, maybe, but uh, I think there's more to it than that. I was fortunate to do an internship all those years ago with the Columbus Symphony and discovered this world of arts administration and was like, oh, right, all these arts organizations have people who, who run the business behind mm -hmm. the scenes, right? And I often say that even though we're nonprofit, my standard line is nonprofit is a tax status, not a business model. So we are about making money. We just don't pay shareholders, right? And it's how we keep program going. So to answer your question, yes, I was, I have been and was a patron of the arts my whole career. I also though uh, have a degree in music and in business and kind of married those two in arts administration. And most of my career has been in, in that way. Um, when I saw this job posted in business first, by the way, <laughs> first, first, I knew that Stephen was retiring we went from a sole leadership model to a two side, right? I handle all the administrative um, side of the house and Lena has the artistic side of the house. I was reading Business First one night in November of 2019 and said, oh my gosh, this is the job for me. Because my whole career has really been in arts education, um, not, sorry, arts administration and or education. I spent a little time in Hilliard schools and, and understand the, the importance of the arts and education and half of our mission at the contemporary is education and theater arts um, education in schools and in the community so i was like this is this is the job for me this blends everything i've done and i had been an audio describer for catco back in the mid 90s um, so describing shows for people right with sight um, disabilities with their sight and had been a had attended Phoenix Theater for Children with my kids and with my boys as a subscriber. So for 10 years, we were subscribers of Children's Theater. And then just went to shows as an adult, right, when I could and when schedule allowed. And so I really felt like this was kind of the place I was supposed to be. It was a little bit like coming home, if you will, right? What has your experience been like in nonprofit and the arts world um, as a female executive? That, that has been my experience. There, you know, there's this sort of renaissance of women leading arts organizations in Columbus right now. Part of my theory on that, and I, I have heard this said actually in my younger days, well, let's hire her because she, her husband probably has the insurance and we could pay her less. True. That was a true statement, um, which is awful, right? It's awful, right? And so I think there has been this thinking that you could get women cheaper in these roles and 
less expensive in these roles. Um, I have always worked with a lot of women, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Consequently, I've not really had to fight as hard in like like women entrepreneurs against male entrepreneurs, right? Some of the stories I've heard from my from my friends in Nabo, like oof, I I haven't had all that because mm -hmm. I tended to work with a lot more with a lot more women, mm -hmm. and part of it I think is the pay. Yeah. The, the pay's the pay's just lower in nonprofits. Well, that's such a <laughs> we experience. You know, journalism is a field that historically was a lot more male dominated. Now, like when I graduated, everybody was all women in both journalism and PR. And then you see the same in teaching. It's a it's a little bit of a chicken or an egg. Also, I feel like about well, why is the pay lower in some of these fields that are traditionally or more so female dominated? Right. You know, that relates to right. your point about yeah. And one of the things, you know, equity, equity is a strong part of our vision. And so we think about from the, from the vendors we hire to the actors we cast, like across the board, right? And we've increased those stats. We're now something like 57% women and people of color who we hire from, from vendors, actors, stat, you name it, across the board. Um, and we've taken a look at, at our pay rates and we're trying to increase those little by little as we can, right? And just doing those things to move us toward a more equitable um, system, mm -hmm. at least in our little corner of the world. Outside the theater, Christy fills her time with a different sphere of fine art. My degree is in trumpet. I still play trumpet and cornet. And um, the thing I have time for is my once a week rehearsal with the Brass Band of Columbus. So we're a community brass band uh, based in the British style, um, all brass, and do a lot of you know outdoor part. This is great great summertime outdoor park season. We play in churches, we play in retirement centers. Um, and actually this weekend we're going to Gettysburg for a big uh, national brass band festival. Wow, so, that's yeah. so, so I fun. do still play once a week when <laughs> I don't have to be at the theater. And it's for me, it's that it keeps those skills sharp and it's my kind of my mental health, yeah. you know, my release, something different. So yeah, I do still play. Don't mean a lot of uh uh, adult trumpeters, I feel like. So. Or, or female <laughs> oh, adult yeah. trumpeters. Oh, it's a, it's a big uh, <laughs> it is gendered. It is a very male-dominated instrument. Yeah. Interesting. Uh -huh. Trumpeting isn't the only way Christy winds down after a busy week. Uh, yeah, I love, I love to read, so I'm mm -hmm. a big reader. And, and I love, I really love nonfiction. I read a lot of nonfiction. Oh, that's interesting. Because I'm a, I'm a learner by, mm -hmm. by heart. My strengths finder is, my number one is a learner, right? So I'm a learner. And I set a goal every year to read a couple of nonfiction novels, right? Just for fun. <laughs> so what are you reading right now? Fix, sorry, fix that. You set a goal to read fiction, fiction novels, novels right? Um, so I'm on my next vacation, which is a this weekend, we're doing that long weekend in Gettysburg. I, I have picked up um, Run, Rose, Run mm -hmm. with Darla Parton and James Patterson. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> wait. So this is a James Patterson novel co-authored by Dolly by Parton? By Dolly Parton. I did not know yeah, about that. Yeah, it's called Run, Rose, She's Run. She's a renaissance woman. She wrote a new soundtrack to go with it. Oh, my gosh. And the reason I picked that I picked it up is because we, we produced 9 to 5 last season. Mm -hmm. And so it was all things Dolly, mm -hmm. right? That show's iconic, the movie, the whole, right? It became our second highest grossing show ever, to my point about people buying tickets to things they know yeah. of. <laughs> so that, that helped our bottom line, you know, tremendously. Um, but I really kind of got into to a lot more Dolly and, and what she does for reading and, right? So I picked up Run, Run, Run. Mm -hmm. So that's my next, my next one to read. Yeah, I don't know. I also like his, historical, the late, the one before that was called The Woman, 
the woman that could not be silenced. It was about Elizabeth Packard in the 1800s, um, who back in the day, you could be put in an insane asylum. Women could be if they were too bossy or mouthy or spoke their mind or wanted to get the right to vote or um, you could be put in asylum by your husband mm-hmm. and the asylums were run by men. And so if you got in, it was very unlikely you were coming out. And Elizabeth worked from, her, she was in an asylum and worked all the way through that to get herself out and get other women out and ultimately change laws about about that. And so it was a big, it was like, oh my gosh, Eleanor, it was like 500 pages. Yeah. It was a big commitment, <laughs> but it was written like a novel, uh, although it was true. Yeah. It was all true. That's my problem with nonfiction. I last summer I mostly read uh, and the band played on uplifting, uh, but it's you know I was doing this audiobook, so that also I read faster than I listen to audiobooks. So I probably should only do nonfiction that way. But I think I still technically have like three hours of audio left because at a certain point I was just like, all right, get it. Right, nineteen ninety two. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're yeah right. Near the end of this. So yeah, but give me a good memoir. Oh, I'm really I love memoirs. Uh-huh. And again, it's that learning thing. I think right. I want to learn, particularly women, what their experiences, how they grown, mm-hmm. how they developed into leaders. So yeah, I like a good memoir. On the subject of leadership development, I asked Christy for her advice for young women. I would. I guess I've said this forever. I would keep saying it. Um, build your network. Find find those authentic people particularly women that, that you look up to, that you can go to for advice, uh, for mentorship, for support, learn from them how they've done it, right? I, that's, the, that's the piece that when I was young, I, younger, I didn't know I was doing this, but I've been building and cultivating and tending to that network for years. And now it pays off in so, so many ways, right? Whether I'm trying to raise money, which I am most every day of my life, but it's not about I'm not going to raise money until I've built a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And and that and that giving. I mean, I also think we're in a time where everyone has something to learn and everyone has something to teach. And so, how how can I learn from younger women on my team or around? Like, I want I want all the diversity in that in that network. Some people call it the kitchen kitchen table, mm-hmm. right, or the kitchen, kitchen cabinet. cabinet. Yeah, like I want all the things in that. And so, I think start start that early. Right. And I've watched I have I have two boys in their twenties and I don't think they got that coming out of college. They didn't in fact my oldest son, I'm gonna I said I'm gonna get a job based on who I know or based on what I know, not who I know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't think that's right. So I don't and it turned out not to be true. <laughs> <laughs> he totally made a connection and, and got a job partly based on yeah. who he knew, right? Mm-hmm. So that that network and the mentorship is, I think that's the advice I get. Terrific. Well, I appreciate it. And thanks so much for joining us, Christy. It was great chatting with you. I could talk forever, but. <laughs> yeah. Likewise, Eleanor. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for having me. This was really fun. And thanks so much to all of you for joining us as well. If you're not already, then follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll be notified of each new episode as it's released. Another huge thank you to Christy for joining us. I'm Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First, and this has been Women of Influence.